Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast, a Canadian real estate podcast that shows you how to pay off your mortgage sooner and live well while doing it. Now, here's your host, Sean Cooper. Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. I'm Sean Cooper, and it's great to be back for another episode. On today's show, I'll be talking to Michelle Hung. Michelle's episode is the latest in a series of podcast shows on women in real estate. In the coming weeks, I'll be interviewing successful female real estate investors to help encourage and inspire more women to get into real estate. Michelle is the founder of of the sassy investor she empowers women to take control of their finances by providing them with the education and support in order to gain the confidence they need to make their own investment decisions michelle is also a real estate investor she purchased her first investment property a student rental during her second year of university where she learned a great deal of financial responsibility at such a young age In my interview with Michelle, we discuss the ins and outs of student rentals, being a landlord, and investing in real estate versus the stock market. But before we get to my interview with Michelle, just a few words about this episode's sponsor. This episode of the Burn Your Mortgage podcast is sponsored by CloudTax. Filing your own taxes may seem like a daunting task. CloudTax makes it simple and easy to get your taxes done. You can file it on your computer or on the go with your mobile device. All of your information will be automatically synced so you can start on one device and continue on another on your own time. And it gets even better. You can file your taxes at no cost, absolutely free. Based on your tax situation, CloudTax will suggest deductions and credits you may be eligible for, and this will maximize your refund. If you have any questions along the way, you can upgrade your services for only $2.99 per month, and this will provide you with unlimited phone support throughout the year, along with audit protection. Let's say your tax situation is a bit more complicated, such as self-employed, such as self-employed, or having rental properties. You can use the Cloud Tax Pro service where a tax expert will file your taxes for you from start to finish and make sure you can claim all the deductions that you're eligible for. No more long lines and physical appointments. File your taxes with confidence. Experience Cloud Tax. Visit cloudtax.ca to learn more. I've also included a link in the show notes. Now back to our regularly scheduled podcast episode. Without further ado, here's my interview with Michelle Hung. Hi, Michelle. How are you doing today? Hi, Sean. I'm great. Thanks. How are you doing? Pretty good. Looking forward to another interesting discussion on real estate with you today. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for inviting me on your show. Awesome. Well, let's get started. What has been your experience with real estate as a millennial? 
So I made my first house purchase when I was in around second year university. So I was 19, 20 years old, pretty young and ambitious. And I simply adapted that mentality of, I don't want to be paying someone else's mortgage. I had moved away from home for university. um, So I had to learn to kind of adult and manage my own expenses and budget and, you know, pay rent. So I paid rent, you know, I lived on campus the first year. And then second year, I, you know, lived in like a few houses. And then I said, you know what? No, I don't, I don't think this is right for me. I, I think I could do a bit better. So I made a proposal to my parents asking if they can help me buy a house near my university I was attending. So I went to the University of Waterloo, which is about an hour away from Toronto, outside of Toronto. And I pitched them on the, the idea that I can rent out you know, the rooms to students, I'll manage it, I'll collect the rent, maintain the property. And then after graduation, I can just sell it. So, you know, my parents were obviously very generous enough to help me out. They were not rich by any means. They were just, you know, some, they were just middle class people, immigrants, living in Markham, working hard. And it wasn't like they had just a bunch of cash sitting around. So they had to go to the bank and they told the bank that what they wanted to do, they wanted to help their daughter buy a student house uh, in Waterloo and they wanted to see if it was feasible. So what the bank proposed was that they take out a home equity line of credit against their current home they were living in to use as the deposit. So here's the thing though, back then, <laughs> the house that I found that I wanted to live in was about $168,000. Okay? This is back in around 2003. Very affordable. It's actually unheard of today. It's like a dream now, right? Maybe in Windsor, Ontario. It's about yeah, exactly. And even so, it might even um, still be like a bit higher than that, right? But $168,000. And that was, on the, that was a bit on the higher end too. There were houses for like $130,000, but there were like a little bit run down, but I'm like, no, I don't want to live in any more run down homes. I want to live comfortably and, and clean and then, you know, maintain a certain standard and make sure the tenants, my roommates that I brought on have that, you know, like value the same thing, like clean homes and, you know, value prop- their property, right? So we, we bought a house for $168,000 and the mortgage was about half of that because we used a home equity line of credit to put a, a deposit down, to put a down payment down. I worked the numbers out. The house is uh, fairly new again, it was great condition. And I just did that for the next few years as a student, I rented it out. It wasn't easy. And here's the thing, because the housing market was like starting to get like starting to get saturated back then, right? It was nothing like today where it was just there was just crazy demand anymore. Again, it's different times, and there were times where I struggled to fill the house because it was a bit further away from the university, and there were a lot of like condos going up around the the schools, and people because people were catching on. They're like, oh, this thing about student housing, they can just pay, like you know, we can collect rent, and it was it was affordable. Like land and houses were cheap, so like collecting rental income, it was like people were making great returns. But again, because there were so many buildings going up, it was sometimes I found it hard to fill the house with tenants. But yeah, I eventually sold the house in August 2008, just before, just when the recession was starting, and I had one offer on the house. <laughs> So again, very different times. There were no bidding wars, none of that. 
So I sat on the market for a few months and, you know, I kind of struggled in that area too. Um, I also renovated a bit just to, you know, pretty it up. So I put money into that as well. What um, kind of renovations did you do? Like reface the cabinet, do some painting, uh, anything like that? Yeah, not so much like cabinets, nothing crazy. Just maybe I redid the floors in the kitchen. So mainly kitchen stuff. And I think I took up the carpet in the living room as well. But the upstairs left it the way it was because I only lived in it for a few years, right? And, you know, nobody nobody destroyed the house in the last couple of years. The tenants were pretty good. They took care of the place and the basement was already finished. So when I bought it, I made sure that it, there was, I didn't have to put in too much effort. So that was really ideal. So it was just like, you know, a new paint, painted every room and the kitchen, we did the floors, put in a new stove, just little, little things like that. Nothing crazy. So yeah, that was basically my experience. And looking back, you know, like obviously I, I wish I had, like I hung on to it. But again, there was, you know, when it comes to real estate, there are the, the carrying costs, right? Like the time I was renovating the house, like nobody was living in it. So I had to, I had to fork up, like fork over the money and pay the mortgage and whatever bills, like the, the taxes, all the things that come along with home ownership. So it's not exactly, you know, super easy money as people have made it out to be. And certainly not when times were like that. And I, you know, I consider it like running your own business. Um, you have to market it. I, have to po- I had to post the listings on my school rental board. I had to make sure that tenants were good and, you know, I had to trust that they wouldn't trash it to make sure like their checks don't bounce. Luckily, I didn't have any of those issues. But uh, there was that one time the water tank broke during the week at night and it just leaked all over the basement. So I had to tend to that during the week. Luckily, there were no exams or anything. It was just like a regular school night. Yeah, again, like for me, I've seen so many crummy houses and part of the reason why I wanted to buy my own house was because, you know, the places I rented previously were just absolute dumps. And, you know, I remember there was one place where I had to shower with flip-flops on every single day because I just (laughs) refuse to touch the tub with my bare feet. Wow. Well, that's quite an interesting journey to being a homeowner. And yeah, we'll definitely talk more about your experience as a landlord later on in a couple questions. But yeah, I'd be Mm -hmm. curious to hear what else have you invested in besides real estate? Yeah, sure. Definitely the stock markets. Um, again, I was just going through, it wasn't, it wasn't a phase. It was just like I was so, when I was young, I was just like so ambitious. I was really into making money. I was into business. So I got into stocks as a, when I was a university student as well. I started reading about, you know, Warren Buffett and Peter Lynch and investing in individual stocks. And of course, you know, screwing up and making mistakes people would normally make if they don't educate, educate themselves prior to investing. So yeah, like been invested in the stock market, still am invested in the stock market. I think everyone needs to be, and they're certainly a lot easier to manage. That's for sure. Don't have to clean up after anyone. (laughs) So great tying into the question about investing, Uh, given that you've invested in both real estate and the stock markets, which one in your opinion is better or rather do you have a preference? Real estate and the stock markets, they're apples and like they're apples and oranges, right? They're very different. They're different types of investments. But I must say that everyone needs to be invested in the stock markets. And I'm not talking about, you know, picking individual stocks and penny stocks and stuff like that. I mean, like if you want to, you can, you know, assemble your own portfolio, choose like 10 stocks and diversify it yourself, assemble it yourself. Or you can just do the bare minimum and invest in low cost index exchange trade funds or ETFs. I think that's a must for 
everyone. It's one of the easiest ways to make money and that it's, you know, the least labor intensive. You don't need huge upfront capital to do this. In fact, you can start even with, you know, a few hundred bucks, right? And of course, the beauty about ETFs and stocks is, you know, they are liquid. There are no carrying costs associated with it. You can literally just let that money sit there and it'll grow over the long run. And, you know, that's the key to being successful as an investor. It's patience and adapting a long-term mindset. If you're into real estate and some, it's not, and again, it's not for everyone, but, you know, if you really enjoy, you know, having your own type of, you know, business and you, and you, and you're willing to, you know, put in the work and, you know, be a good landlord, there are a lot of like crummy landlords out there, but, you know, if you be a good one and develop a good relationship with your tenants, I think there are, you know, huge gains and huge returns to be made with that provided, you know, you pick a good property and it's just like picking a stock, right? You got to make sure you pick a good one and the numbers work, but there's certainly a lot of merits to that and it will pay off huge with, again, patience and with a lot of, you know, care. And I think really more importantly, you know, building like good relationships with tenants because, you know, you're trusting them to take care of your property. They're living in it and it, it is an agreement, right? You're providing a service or product and they're paying you. So, you know, treat it like any other type of business relationship. Exactly. And tying into that, you mentioned earlier that you were a landlord when you had your student housing property in Waterloo. So could you tell me what you liked most about being a landlord and perhaps one of the less glamorous things as well? Of course. Now, being a landlord at such a young age, I guess I felt like I was adulting and, you know, having that ownership of this, you know, big asset at such a young age, you know, I thought it was great. And of course, collecting rent, making money on top of not having to pay rent as a student, that was fantastic. Taking checks to the bank, right? Exactly. I was like, yes, depositing money. I'm not as broke as, you know, some other students. But yeah, it was just, it was fantastic. Of course, it came with a lot of work and, you know, probably the worst thing was the thing with student housing is that there's a lot of turnover and you know I had to hustle I had to you know put up listings I had to show people the house so you know my schedule when the leases were up it's like okay I gotta I gotta fill the house for the next year I gotta people have to come and show the house you gotta sell them on why it's great why you should live here but at the same time I have to make sure that you know they're like good you know, good tenants. So every year I had to go out and, and just do that because, you know, in the student rental market, it's high turnover and it's kind of hard to gauge uh, um, at the beginning, but you just want to make sure that your house doesn't get trashed. In terms of screening tenants or interviewing tenants, did, did you use your gut feel or did you had some sort of system to pick your tenants? There wasn't really a system. It was just like, yeah, I had to go with my gut. I had to meet them and, you know, just kind of cross my fingers, right? And, you know, I like them as a person. They feel, you know, they're genuinely nice and I feel good. Yeah, and for the most part, it was University of Waterloo, a lot of math and engineering students. So, you know, they weren't big partiers or anything. So I wasn't too concerned about it. But yeah, mostly going with, you know, like meeting them and just, you know, asking them, like, do you, you know, do you smoke, do you party? And hope that they tell me the truth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's certainly on on the theme. I mean, student housing is just one of the ways to in, invest and be a landlord in real estate. I mean, you could rent your property long term, or even decide to rent out a spare bedroom on a service like Airbnb. So there's certainly all different ways to invest in real estate. And if you don't want to be as hands on as 
Airbnb or student housing, then you know there, you could rent out your place long term. And I've had my tenants for almost five years now, so certainly I, I speak with them on occasions and take care of repairs and stuff like that. But it's, for the most part, I'd like to say it's a passive investment. So yeah, there's all certainly all different ways to invest in, in real estate if you don't want to be super hands-on, and you can even outsource it to a property manager if you really don't want to have much to do with it. So. Absolutely. I agree. And I was, you know, after I graduated, I eventually moved downtown when I got my full-time job and I was a tenant for about six years, like same place, took care of the place, you know, had a good relationship with the landlord and, and that was it. It was easy money for them. It was just paid all our rent on time. And if there were any issues, they would tend to it. And that was it. It was, it was a good, um, it was a good relationship. And I, and I definitely enjoyed it. They didn't raise rent on me for six years, which is fantastic. And yeah, and I was just in the heart of like downtown Toronto. So definitely has its merits. (laughs) Great. So switching gears for a moment, going back to the stock market, could you tell me what you like most about the stock market? And yeah, in terms of real estate, do you have any recommendations in terms of people saving towards a down payment? Like, do you think that it would be worth investing in like an ETF or a low cost mutual fund if you're investing for the next several years? Or do you believe it's better to kind of put your money in a high interest savings account? I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that as well. Yeah, sure. So what I like most about the stock markets is, again, it's easy to manage. It's liquid. If you ever need to tap into anything in case of an emergency or you've exhausted your emergency fund, you can turn your stocks or your ETFs into cash really quickly, like within a like within a week, right? As opposed to, you know, if you do own a house directly and it's not liquid, you can't cash out your house within a week. But that's what I do like most about the stock markets. It's uh, the ease of access to cash and how liquid it is. And for, and in the, you know, the markets are very, vol- like they're always going to be volatile. And it's because, you know, we can see the market prices fluctuate every single day. It's there for us. We can look at it. But the key to being a successful investor in the markets is to just, you know, buy, hang on to it and don't worry about the short-term fluctuations. Because, you know, I always compare it to, like, if you own a house, do you phone your real estate agent every single day and ask ask him or her what the price of your house is? It's like, you know, it's kind of silly, right? It's the same thing. You kind of have to ad- adapt that same mentality. The thing is, like, for stock prices, it's the prices are there for you to see every single day. So people do get tempted to see, oh, how is my portfolio doing? And you see those gains or losses. And yeah, like if you are, and of course, if you are saving for something, if you're looking to make, you know, a big purchase, like a down payment um, in the next few years, definitely put it in a high interest savings account. You don't want to be investing that money in the stock markets because again, time is your best friend. Slow and steady wins the race. If you're going to, you want to become a successful investor. So you need a lot of time, like five, 10 plus years to allow for that money to grow. The markets, they fluctuate in the short term and the medium term, but you know, there are some like significant returns to be made over the, if you adopt a long-term mentality and just hang on to it. Great advice said. You're the second guest to say that people don't check the value of their home every day. So mm-hmm. that's kind of funny to hear that from somebody else. But yeah, I think that would be mm-hmm. a bit crazy. But somehow people think it's okay to check their stock portfolio value every day. But I just think you're asking for trouble if you do that. And you're probably going to do the famous buy high, sell low. 
Yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. Buy high, sell. I was like, oh, markets are going down. I'm going to hit sell. And then when things are looking good, oh, everything's green. Okay, I should buy back in. It's, it's all emotions, right? The best way to control that is to not look at it and keep in mind that, you know, how you feel is not logical when it comes to investing. And sorry, just to like touch upon like real estate for like for real estate, especially in, you know, in these high cost cities, Toronto and Vancouver, I always say like, don't, I always tell people, don't get bogged down and sucked into real estate for the wrong reasons. Just because all the headlines are out there. It's like, oh, people are like paying like double or triple for the aspirations, whatever it is, right? The media loves to glorify these stories. If you want to buy a home and live in it, then, you know, do it, but make sure it's your home and you're going to plan to stay in it and make sure you can afford the payments and not end up being house poor. Because again, it's hard to cash out of your house in the event something happens and you need access to cash. If you're looking to invest in property and you know, you, you're settled and you want to add like another type of income stream and you can, you can handle it. Well, like for starters, don't go where there's a housing bubble, you know, I always say like Toronto, Vancouver, like there are, there's so many other places outside of Toronto and Vancouver. These are not the only places out there. Yes. It'll require you to do a little bit of travel or put, put some effort in, but that's what it takes, right? If you're going to do that, it's essentially a business and you have to treat it like, so it's not just like a piggy bank where just because you're seeing all this glamorous stuff on HGTV, it's like, oh, flipping houses is so easy. Just renovate and get like, make a hundred thousand dollars in gains. Like, no, that's not reality. It's just, TV, right? There's so much more work involved. And it, it's not just, okay, I'm just going to collect rent every month. No, there's a lot of work involved. And, you know, if you do it right, you do your due diligence, the returns can be significant, especially when you can land on a property where, you know, you paid a reasonable price and you can manage the mortgage and the rent that you collect from tenants. And you can actually earn like some really good passive income on a monthly basis. You know, you just have to wait. Like there's so many times where I told my friends that were tr- trying to buy a house in Toronto and you know, they were, they were, they were obviously very upset. They're like, oh, okay, I can't get like, I've been into, I've been in so many bidding wars. Um, I can't get a place. And then all of a sudden, you know, the headlines stopped, stopped coming in and you know, the market's kind of cooling. And then I asked them, I'm like, so what happened? So yeah, the markets are cooling. I'm like, yeah, well, prices are kind of slowing a bit. So kind of look now, not when everything was going crazy and everyone was driving up the prices, right? Being patient and waiting for, you know, things to slow and making sure it's on your own terms, right? Because the last thing you need is to buy like a million dollar property and you're strapped to that for the next 30 years. You gotta gotta be, you know, again, like our emotions are not very, they're not logical at all. So you have to control that and make sure that this will work out for you in the long term. You have your own interests at heart and you're not, again, you're not caving into um, media frenzy and like bidding wars because that can be very dangerous later on. Yeah, all great advice. And before we finish the interview, did you have any final pieces of advice for anyone looking to invest in real estate or the stock market? Well, for the stock market, start as soon as possible, adopt a long-term mindset, like templates, years, and leave it alone. You're not trading. You're not looking at, you're not looking at it on a day-to-day basis. You're buying and holding onto it for the long-term, um, and you can definitely do this yourself. And if you're looking into getting into real estate, again, run the numbers, do your due diligence, be patient, make sure the numbers work out for you, make sure 
you can carry the cost just in case you don't fill it. And yeah, just, and, you know, make sure it works out in your best interest and that you're not too cash trapped. So having like a set of funds just in case something comes up, like there's an emergency with the property, right? There's a lot of like maintenance involved when it comes to houses, like a a water heater could break, like something could happen to the roof. Those costs, make sure those things are covered. Great advice. Well, I've really enjoyed talking with you today. It's been great having you on the show. Before I let you go, is there anything of interest that you're working on that you'd like to share with our listeners? Awesome. Thanks. Yeah, I'm about to publish a book, release my book titled The Saucy Investor. And it will be available online on Amazon, Chapters, and Barnes and Noble. And it's, you know, a first of its kind, very colorful investment book that, you know, teaches you how to invest in the stock market. So be sure to grab a copy of that. And if you want to follow me, I am very active on Instagram. My handle is at the sassy investor. And you can can also join my Facebook group. Awesome. And I've uh, got a sneak peek of Michelle's book. And I have to say that the uh, pictures are very colorful and hand-drawn. And it's probably the nicest illustrations that I've seen in a personal finance book. So even if you're not into personal finance, just check it out for the illustrations. But yeah, it's, it's a great book. And I strongly encourage you to check it out. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sean. Thanks for having me. And that concludes my interview with Michelle Hung. Please note that I recorded the interview with her a couple months ago. Since then, she has released her book. It's available now for purchase on Amazon. I've included a link to her book in the show notes. As mentioned at the start of the show, this episode of the Burn Your Mortgage podcast is sponsored by CloudTax. Filing your own taxes may seem like a daunting task. CloudTax makes it simple and easy to get your taxes done. You can file it on your computer or on the go with your mobile device. All of your information will be automatically synced so you can start on one device and continue on another on your own time. And it gets even better. You can file your taxes at no cost, absolutely free. Based on your tax situation, CloudTax will suggest deductions and credits you may be eligible for and this will maximize your refund. If you have any questions along the way, you can upgrade your services for only $2.99 per month, and this will provide you with unlimited phone support throughout the year, along with audit protection. Let's say your tax situation is a bit more complicated, such as self-employed, such as self-employed, or having rental properties. You can use the Cloud Tax Pro service where a tax expert will file your taxes for you from start to finish and make sure you can claim all the deductions that you're eligible for. No more long lines and physical appointments. File your taxes with confidence. Experience Cloud Tax. Visit cloudtax.ca to learn more. I've also included a link in the show notes. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. Besides being a podcast host, I'm also an independent mortgage broker. If you or anyone you know, family, friends, co-workers, or neighbors could ever use any unbiased mortgage advice or a second opinion, feel free to reach out. Email me at sean, that's S-E-A-N, at burnyourmortgage.ca or Call or text me at 
867-3711 for a free mortgage consultation. Also, be sure to head on over to www.burnyourmortgage.ca and sign up for my free weekly newsletter. As a small token of my appreciation, you'll be able to download my ultimate mortgage checklist on choosing the perfect mortgage. I look forward to hearing from you and helping you with all your mortgage needs. Once again, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating. Until next time, happy mortgage burning. <laughs>